Hello and welcome to Dragon's Demise, the podcast about what happens on, around, and behind the tabletop. I'm joined as always by Greg. Hey, hey. And today we will be reviewing Flip City. But first, let's talk about what we've been playing. Yeah, so we uh, we were able to attend Gamers this past week, which actually is a first for both of us. We've been pretty busy so far this... It's not a semester for either of us, given that we're not students anymore, but... You know, the beginning of the year, been keeping us pretty busy. But we were able to make it out to gamers and play a couple of different games. I got to play Eldritch Horror, which actually I enjoyed a lot more than I thought I would. It's a game where you play as investigators traveling around the entire world. I hear there are versions that have just like uh, one city or, or one country, but this one, you travel around the entire world trying to solve mysteries and deal with monsters inspired by... The Lovecraftian horror things, so Cthulhu, Azathoth, all those sorts of things. And that's not usually my speed, but I actually rather enjoyed this. It felt very much like a sort of pandemic-style game. You know, you've got different nodes around the world, and you have actions that you can perform that you're you're trying to use to sort of stem the tide and respond to the things that are happening on the board. But also, you know, positively, Uh, It seemed like they had a lot more proactive things that you could do. You know, you could acquire equipment, you could go on expeditions to get uh, arcane tomes or lost artifacts or all these sorts of things that were designed to give you benefits when you're fighting these elder gods. So it was really, it was really cool. I think very well designed. We did not win. We got pretty, pretty well beaten by uh, Shub Nagurath, the Black Goat. She put a bunch of monsters on the board, and we just we couldn't deal with it. We almost won. We got really, really close. But then she awakened, and that was the end of that. So. Yep. I think I've played it once before as well, and it's definitely a fun game, and I really like the comparison to Pandemic. I think that that is it's like the grown-up version of Pandemic. If it just you know had a few more mechanics, a few other things you add to it, and then you've got this much larger, much heavier game. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's, there's so many fiddly bits. You know, there's there's a lot going on and a lot that you kind of have to keep track of in your head. But a lot of the core gameplay elements of pick your investigator, which has a different role, very similar to the, the professions in Pandemic, and then travel around the world to different nodes, dealing with monsters, resolving effects, all that sort of thing. Very similar and quite a lot of fun. I'd love to play it again, ideally with a different Elder God, just to kind of get a sense for how those different changes happen. You know, whether it's a clue-heavy game or a monster-heavy game, those sorts of things. But uh, I'd absolutely be willing to give it a shot again, which is not something I would have said before I played it. Well, that's awesome. It's always good to find some new things about games that you never knew about. I actually got to play a brand new game that I got, I think, only about a week or so ago. And that is Wizard School by DFTBA Games. Yes, this is super exciting for me. I love John and Hank Green. I... I'm pretty sure you do as well. Yep. So tell me about it. What? How did it play? So first of all, it's a cooperative game. It is a cooperative game where you are trying to take your student and the other, you know, his friends through school. Okay. And you start with, you know, different challenges. You have four years to go through. And this is a part that at the beginning when I was setting up, I was a bit confused about. But they have, like, you know, one crystal ball difficulties, two, three, and four. Okay. And... Apparently, it's very fluid as to how you do these. Uh, you can uh, set up like each gear to be. You could you could have all four years as like 
four level difficulty if you wanted to mm. but like what they recommended at first was to go you know first year being one difficulty second year two third year three fourth year four into it makes sense yeah but at the same time like when i was reading through it i was like but you could do anything you want really yeah. like, oh okay i guess i'll try this way first but those cards each have certain milestones that you have to achieve in order to pass that year so like the first year was something like defeat one monster that has at least three symbols on it kind of thing okay okay and then like two other things that you had to do and so in general it's a pretty simple game the way that works is you start off with two monsters out in the actual like school you draw in your turn one card from the school deck and that can be an activity a monster or a test okay so monsters uh, will go in the middle and they will affect everyone. The activities are one-time things that affect you and you only. And then the tests are ongoing effects and activities until you pass them that will affect you. So for example, a test could be like, you know, you need to do use a certain number of illusion spells in order to pass this test. Mm, okay. Or something like that. And you have a hand of magic cards which... Uh, are composed of magical friends, magical spells, and items. So items can be played on your character up to the, the limit on the card, because your backpack has only a certain limit. Then the magical friends can be played on anyone's turn at any point. Oh, the magic items can be played at any time during your turn. Sure. And then the magical spells could only be used for either passing the tests or fighting the monsters or anything like that. Okay. So, point of the game is you start, you draw that one card, see what it is, whether it's a test, an activity, a monster. Then you have one action in your turn. You can either, you can attack a monster, take a test. You can tutor another student, so bringing their grade up. Oh, that's nice. You can study, draw a card. You can panic, which is take the top card from the uh, school deck and put it on the bottom. I see they're going for accuracy in their depiction of school. Exactly. One of them is pull an all-nighter, I believe, in which you discard three of your cards but get two extra actions. Okay. And I believe that that's all of them. After that, after you've done your action, the school gets to fight back. So you have on the back of your school cards... They have symbols, so it might be a red monster, green monster, an F minus, or something like that. So depending on what is there, that's the effect that has happened. So if the green monsters are shown on the back of that card, then all the green monsters will activate an attack, mm. and that will attack the current player. If the red monsters are on the back of the card, the red monsters will wake up an attack. If the F minus is on the back of the card, that player loses a grade. Makes if sense. anyone goes to an F, the game is over. So, so what's the win condition? Like you mentioned that it's cooperative, but I know there are also like there are ways to become an upperclassman yourself. Mm -hmm. Is it semi-cooperative or is it actually all like you all graduate together? It is fully cooperative. This is a game where the end the end happens when you pass the last tests or last um challenges on the fourth card mm. that is the game is over doesn't matter whether you're upperclassmen or not It'll okay happen. so you're all just trying to get through it together yes you're okay. just trying to get through it together the significance of the lower classmen and upperclassmen card is that you get a better ability 
on the upperclassman card than you do on the lowerclassman card. Sure, that so makes sense. In that way, you want to be flip your card over. Right. Well, yeah. yeah, that sounds like a lot of fun. I can't wait to play it. Yeah, it, it was fun. It took a while to understand what exactly we were supposed to do because the rules were a bit heavy on the text, mm. I think. And just the explanations were in weird places, I think, for me anyway. When I was looking for something, I was hoping that it would be like, you know, on this place or something like that. And just there was no like FAQs or anything like that in the back, which was a little bit annoying. Right. But in general, I did enjoy it. And I'm hoping now that I actually understand the game, when I play it next, I'll enjoy it a lot more. Well, cool. You know, that's not all we got to play. Uh, we each got to play a couple other games. I was able to play a game of uh, Twilight Imperium, mm-hmm. which we actually played before. I spent probably 12 hours yesterday playing board games, but it was good. We've been doing this sort of thing where we house rule that each time you play as a race, that race is removed from the possible pool that you can be. Because what we, you know, we've done this maybe four or five times now, and it's always the same people. You know, there's the universities of Jolnar, there's the handful of races that are just really, really powerful, and everybody always selects. So we wanted to change it up a little bit and make it so that, you know, you're going to start to see some of those races that nobody picks. It was interesting. It forced me into a, a more combative situation that I would otherwise play. You know, I'm the guy that always picks the universities. I try to go for the tech victory, the peaceful victory. But this time I played with the group that starts with a war sun, and I was just like, come at me, bros. So that was a lot of fun. You, I know, had a chance to play Viceroy again. Yes, I did. I got to play that. It was a lot of fun. Reading back through the rules was a little bit interesting, trying to remember exactly how to play it. because I knew the general gist of things, but then like the actual nuances took me a little while to remember. Was it just as overwhelming the second time? I don't think so. Partially, like once I finished reading the rules, it was easier for me to explain. But at the beginning, when I was looking at it, I knew what the game was going for, but I had to remember the actual rules themselves, right. which was uh, a bit annoying. I also got to play Unspeakable Words. Yeah, I saw you playing that. Yeah, it was all right. I think that it all depends on the people you're playing with and sure. when people aren't, you know, using their phones to look up a word and saying, this is a word. So, and there, there were definitely some rules that I didn't realize when I watched it on tabletop. Is that basically like Scrabble where you're trying to play like you have letters, combinations in your hand and you're trying to make words out of them? Or Yes, you're just trying to make words out of the letters in your hands. You're not interacting with any other players. Okay. And whatever point value you have from the word... You have to roll a d20 and roll above it, or you lose a sanity. (laughs) Okay, because of course there's a sanity mechanic, Mm because it's a Cthulhu game. Yeah, no, that makes sense to me. But the cool part about that is when you get to one sanity, you get to make up words. Ah, yes. Okay, this is, all right. It's redeemed itself in my eyes. Yeah, you get to make up whatever word you want, and to make it even better, you have to do the definition and like use it in a sentence. Okay, all right, I like this now. I'm, I'm looking forward to playing this at some point. Yeah, it's extremely simple. But at the same time, I think it is, it's is—it's pretty enjoyable. I've, I've enjoyed this one time. The rule that I wasn't expecting is that you cannot use the same word as anyone else. Oh, interesting. Which, altogether, the one thing that I will say is frustrating for me for it is keeping track of the points as well as keeping track of the words that have been used. Right, yeah, because, I mean, a game can go on fairly long, I imagine. Especially with, the, I think we played it with six or seven players. 
and it was it took a while and i was just sitting there with everyone starting how many points did you get okay what was the word boom and like i was the only one writing the stuff ah. and so it get, gets my turn i haven't even looked at my cards that i have and now i have to sit there and like think about what word to put down it sounds like we need to implement some sort of house rule that says keep track of your own damn points yeah and words and, and words yeah. yeah but yeah that's uh that's what we've had a chance to play lately So now we're going to buy a fixer-upper and flip this house with our review of Flip City. Flip City advertises itself as a deceptively simple micro-deck-building game, and we think that's actually a, a pretty fair description. You've basically got a starting hand, starting deck, with some city blocks. Some of them are residential areas, some of them are factories, hospitals, all those sorts of things that you'd find in any good Sim City. And you use those to generate money, to generate victory points, and acquire new buildings, acquire new districts, and the ultimate goal is to be the first to either get eight victory points out in a single turn, or there's a particular card called the Convenience Store that says if you play this and at least 18 total cards on your turn, you win. So you either want to have a really strong victory point generating engine, or you just want to put a bunch of cards on the board, which is more difficult than it seems because of the happiness mechanic. Yeah, and the happiness mechanics is going to be something that our listeners will recognize a little bit from uh, Mystic Veil. So in Flip City, you take the top card of your deck and you put it out into your tableau area. And now if you have three unhappiness in your tableau, you fold for the turn. You discard all those cards and you're done. So it has the same kind of thing where you're you know, deciding whether or not to push that extra card out onto your tableau. The difference here is that some cards are forced out. So if you reveal a residential area, that immediately gets forced into your tableau. Right, and this is slightly different from Mystic Veil in that the unhappiness from the card on top of your deck isn't actually counted itself. So there's no, you know, there's no real danger if you have a hospital or an apartment or something else that provides unhappiness there there's no immediate threat but some of the cards themselves do force other cards onto the field which can be kind of frustrating in certain ways you know with mystic veil there's the frustration when you reveal the next card and you're like oh dang but not having the power to stop when you would like to stop especially if you know you get a run of residential areas and it just pushes automatically through can be really frustrating and it takes a lot of the power out of your own hands and leaves it up to to pure chance Exactly. You can have, you know, if you still have residential areas or some of the other cards that pull into your um, tableau, I mean, you could be stuck with three in a row. Like, you, you were totally fine. You had nothing, you had nothing, you had nothing, you had nothing, and then boom, three in a row, like, your, your good hand is gone. There's that. But that, that's the kind of mechanic that they're going for, the whole pull your tableau and keep it and use that to buy the cards, take them, put them into your discard pile, and each of the cards themselves also has its own ability. Mm -hmm. Convenience store is the victory one. There's a central park, which allows you to purchase one other card other than using your one action that you have in one turn. But the action that you can do in the turn is either buy one single building to put into your deck. You can flip a building in your discard pile. Or develop. Develop. Develop is the last one. And develop means that you buy and flip at the same time. Right. And 
Flipping, what that does is it takes a card and you literally flip it over. The other side of the card has a different ability, different name and everything like that. So you flip a residential area to an apartment, it still gives you the same amount of money and unhappiness, but this one removes the, this. you must play this if it is on top of your, your deck mechanic. Right. And one of the interesting things about the flip mechanic is that it's not always that the abilities on the top side of the card and the abilities on the bottom side of the card are obviously related to one another. So with the Central Park, its flip side, the station, is very related. The Central Park allows you to take one extra buy action. The station allows you to take one extra flip action. And all flip actions that you take cost one less. So there's a very obvious correlation there. But then with the factory... The flip side of the factory is the power plant. And the factory, when you play it into your tableau, it moves the bottom card of your deck into your discard pile. Pretty standard stuff, just kind of thinning your your deck for that particular turn. But then the power plant actually takes an apartment from your own discard pile and puts it into one of your opponent's discard piles. So there's not a lot of, of correlation there. So it can be interesting strategically to think of, okay, well, on this particular turn, I want to buy a factory but I don't want to use it as a factory. I want to try to flip it to a power plant as soon as possible. Mm-hmm. Or the same sort of thing with some of the other buildings like uh, the convenience store, for example. Yeah, and it's also not a rule that the other side of a card is better than the original side. Because both of them can be used very effectively. And because they have such different abilities, like, for example, a hospital and a church, which is on the other side. The hospital gives you more money, and that can be very useful for developing your deck and everything like that. Whereas the church is what uh, like lets you tolerate more unhappiness. Right. It temporarily raises your ha- unhappiness limit for the turn that it's played. Exactly. So very, very different things. But both of them have very similar usefulness, especially depending on which kind of strategy you're going for mm-hmm. because if you have the hospital like the the money and you're going for the whole victory point strategy so you need to get the high point cards i mean you just keep it at the hospital but if you're going for the you know 17 cards and a convenience store victory like you need more space so therefore you would want the church to give raise your tolerance so. right yeah there's a lot of sort of depth to the game especially when you consider that there's only five cards that you can purchase there's only five types of cards and then each of them has a back obviously but that's all there is to it so given that it's so constrained i think there is a surprising amount of depth one of the other things that's important to know is that once you flip a card it doesn't necessarily remain that way because most of the cards that you can flip have an unflip mechanic which you can activate at any time while they're in your discard pile during your your play phase so if you play cards into your tableau say you get to you know five money and you need just one more to buy the thing that you want to buy well there's a card that's in your discard pile that when you unflip it while it remains in your discard pile it will temporarily give you money so you can kind of manipulate these sorts of things and say okay well i want to push this to its opposite side i want to flip this because i think that's going to be useful to me but then oh dang it on this one particular turn I really need this one-time boost. So unflip mechanics can be really important tactically, like on a a single-turn sort of scale. Unfortunately, the game does play pretty quickly. I think most of the games that that Jacob and I have played have been over in less than half an hour. So there's not a lot of time to 
develop those sorts of things just because money is hard to come by. Mm-hmm. There's no card in the game that offers more than two money with the exception of possibly the hospital, but that's very hard to execute just because the amount of money that you get from a hospital is variable. So the fact that you know you really have to spend probably three quarters of the game just ramping up means that you don't have a lot of time afterwards to execute the strategy in sort of the complex ways that I feel like the designers intended. You know, there's not a lot of flipping and then unflipping because by the time you get to the point where you can reliably flip and unflip cards, you're already kind of on the downhill. Exactly, exactly. I mean, I think that other than the residences in the two games that we played earlier, I didn't flip a single other card. Yeah. It all depends on how you're playing, but at the same time, I think that the timing is just a little bit off on it. Just how it works is just not exactly how you would expect it to. Right. And a, a big chunk of this, I'm perfectly ready to chalk this up to this being the way that we play. I think we're both fairly, you know, we're strategic thinkers, but we're also fairly straightforward thinkers. Mm-hmm. So I feel like someone else could come in and see this game and take it in a completely different direction and go, bam, flip on flip strategy right from the get-go. Whereas we're more inclined to sort of build up our resources over time. And that actually, I think, is one thing that sets this apart from a lot of other deck builders, because that sort of okay, ramp up and then do things strategy is common to a lot of deck builders. You have to build up your economy first before you can start doing things. And I think because the flip costs on the cheap cards are proportionally cheap, you can go for a pretty viable flip strategy if you're focusing on the cheap cards like offices, like convenience stores, rather than necessarily trying to get the expensive things like a central park. But it's just a different way of coming at the game than either of us are really accustomed to. Agreed. Uh, I definitely we think both of us were going for just about the same kind of deck builds both times. And it shows in the way that we play. Yeah, absolutely. But at the same time, it's, you know, the cheaper flips also have more drawbacks to them and that kind of stuff. So you really have to balance that and then like there are the unflip mechanics that cost even more for example with the residence area you flip that for one to get an apartment which that's good but at the same time it's annoying that it costs only one but then it takes up your whole action yeah it it really there's sort of an asymmetry there with some of the cards being much more expensive to flip than it is to unflip but there's also one mechanic that i feel is fairly important that we haven't actually discussed is the sort of aggressive almost attack option that comes with the residential areas because when you flip a residential area to an apartment it has exactly the same stats the only difference is it doesn't force play so it gives you a lot of extra security but then unflipping an apartment actually isn't treated as an unflip it's treated as a regular flip that you have to purchase and when you flip it back to a residential area you put it in someone else's discard pile so it's sort of a way for you to bloat your opponent's deck by giving them cards that are, that are going to push through and kind of a way to mess up their strategy. But again, it's very inaccessible because money's not easy to come by. And yeah. getting to eight money on a single turn, is it's, it's no mean feat. Exactly. Not only is it no mean feat, but then when you're looking at that, it's like, oh, I could you know try to mess with him by putting this in there. Or I could further my own goal of getting like you know the the most expensive card, the seven uh, seven cost Central Park, or like flipping one of my other things. It's a, it's you work so hard to get that that it's almost seems unfeasible. 
Yeah, agreed. And, I mean, you did that a few times in the last game. And, yeah, uh, it, it did mess with me a little bit. But at the same time, I can't say that it was the reason that I lost. Right, right. I think one of the really important things to note about that mechanic is that residential areas can't be purchased. There's a finite number of them in the game, unlike any of the rest of the cards, um, which means each one that you give to your opponent is also one that's permanently out of your deck. So it's a simultaneous attack, but also a deck thinning mechanic. And in a game which has an absence of any other like permanent deck thinning, similar to like Dominion's Trash, uh, that can be very, very important just for making sure that you're running as efficiently as possible. But again, it's a very, very expensive option. Yeah, exactly. So as you've probably heard, no game is perfect. Uh, yeah, I do feel like we've sort of uh, been beating up on poor Flip City here for most of the time, but I think we've been focusing pretty much on mechanics, and it's worth mentioning now some of the other sorts of things that are are problematic with the game that make it less than ideal. So the first one that I want to mention is just something that I don't really have a solution to, but something that really annoys me, which is the fact that they, these cards are two-sided, and when you're shuffling, when you're doing anything, like your deck has to be perfectly straight on so you don't see what is underneath. And this is a game that's supposed to be marketed to people eight and up. And I mean, it's, I don't, just don't feel that that really is conducive towards it because, you know, you, you accidentally touch something. Oh, I already know what's underneath there. And you, you, you like, even just by the color of the title, you know what, what it is that that's the second card. Like, you know, I find myself accidentally seeing that, which is the a problem because when you're trying to actually play this correctly, you don't want to see this, and, and you shouldn't be able to see the cards ahead because that removes a huge part of the, the game. And then like, you know, that actually could create a really big problem with cheating in the game. Right. As, uh, as our friend Sebastian is very fond of saying, it's not a game that could ever be, be played competitively just because there's no way to ensure you know, that, that you're not going to see what's coming next. There's no way to guarantee that you won't know exactly what's coming up next on your board. Mm-hmm. And there's, yeah. as you pointed out, there's really not a way that either of us can think of to properly insure against that. It's just something inherent to the game's design. And mm-hmm. they have notes in the rule book. You know, they recognize that because it's very important which side is up and because it's very apparent to tell, you know, we recommend shuffling your deck below the table mm-hmm. or something. But, you know, that's really about all the fix you can get. The only thing I could think of is a one sided card sleeve which you remove the card and then flip it in the card sleeve to, to flip the card. Right, which is equally a hassle. Yeah, equally a hassle. So it's not really something that I can find a solution to, but it is something that really annoys me. One of the other major things that really I think is kind of a problem from a design standpoint is that there's no scaling in terms of the number of cards in the game. Obviously, each player has their starting deck, and so if you have you know, only two players instead of four, those cards are going to be out. But the number of cards in the supply doesn't change whether you have two players or whether you have four players. So we already felt even a little bit constrained while it was just the two of us playing. You know, we felt like we were running out of cards pretty consistently before we got a chance to do what we wanted to do. So I can only imagine, you know, what it would be like with four people. You would just be be tripping over yourself trying to be the first one to get to those cards because you know they're going to go super, super fast. Exactly, and it's even, it becomes even more of an issue for the whole not having enough money. If the cards that give you money are gonna be gone, uh, you're stuck. 
Yeah. You're not going to be able to get that, you know, uh, seven cost card or use that eight cost at offensive attack. So definitely a design choice that I'm not a big fan of. Agreed. It would be worth putting, even if it's not necessarily, you know, if you go from two to four, double the number of cards, but some sort of gentle gradient that allows for some, uh, a sort of cushioning of the, the sides of the game to make it less about rushing to be the first person to buy all those cards and then figuring out what you're going to do with them. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And another thing that I wanted to put out there was just the design of the cards themselves. Not only the two-sided thing we, we discussed already, but the biggest thing is they're a bit cluttered, and the important part, which is the text on the bottom, is very small and can be easily overlooked. Right, they're 80% picture. 80% picture, the picture has no substance other than just graphic design, and the little tiny bit on the bottom is... The text is the font is I'm pretty sure smaller than the, that on Magic cards and on other cards like that, <laughs> and so it's it's small there, and then uh, you have to read them because they do have different effects, and in the rules they don't even talk about some of the effects. Like the major thing when we started playing today was like, wait, is this like Mystic Veil where you are forced to put something out, or is it completely safe or anything like that? And then we actually like read the bottom of the residence card that said, oh, you have to put this in your in your uh, tableau if it comes up to the top. And that changes the whole game. So it's these kinds of things where like you might not notice them just because it's something that like is so small and annoying to look at. I totally agreed. And just in general, the cards can be very cluttered with like a few symbols. The artwork is cool. I, I like it. The style's nice. But in combination, it just makes it all look cluttered. How many you know, of these do you have? How much money? The money is also really tiny on there rather than being like prominent to show like, you know, you get this much for it and other things like that. So they definitely went on a form over function for the cards. Absolutely. So all told, we've been pretty mean to, to Flip City on this particular review. What do, you, what do you give it? What's your official rating? My official rating is going to be Skip It. I have not really enjoyed playing this game. It has some interesting mechanics, I will say. I definitely think that it is. it could potentially be an interesting game, but for now, whenever I play it, I'm bored. Like, I'm, I'm, in, I'm just doing something for the sake of playing the game, and I really have not enjoyed the game at all. Like Every victory, like, I won once today, and I was like, oh, I won, okay. It's not the kind of feeling that you normally want from a board game. Right. I'm definitely going to agree with you on a skip it. After having only played one game, my initial, my first instinct reaction was that this was going to be a burn it game. I just, I did not enjoy the game at all. But after, you know, giving it a little bit more of a chance, there are, there are some gems hidden here. Like they're doing really innovative things with this sort of flip mechanic. And I like the potential that it has, I think it was just executed poorly. So for that reason, I'm going to agree with you and give this game a skip it. Well, as always, let's compare this to a few other games. So some right. that have similar mechanics or other things like that. Right. So obviously we've talked a lot about it, this review. If you like Mystic Veil, vale, if you like that sort of deck building game that doesn't involve a hand, but instead just pushes directly to your board, this is going to be pretty much that same mechanic. Slight differences in the exact execution, but very, very similar. So if you like that core mechanic of Mystic Veil, vale, maybe check out Flip City, maybe prove us wrong, see what you think. Yep. Same thing with the deck builder. It is technically, both of them are deck building games. 
similar kind of ideas. Another game would be Dominion. So Dominion is for those of you who like deck builders. So it, it is another intro level deck builder. Definitely takes up a lot more space than Flip City, which comes in a very small box. But at the same time, it has that simple mechanic. Uh, you don't have a, like some other games like uh, Ascension or other things like that that have synergies from factions. Dominion is also like you make your own synergies. You read the cards and you figure out how you want to get to a certain point. So another recommendation, if you like Dominion, you might like Flip City. Or you know, if you are intrigued by some of the mechanics in Flip City, definitely check out Dominion. Right. And finally, Fairy Tale. We've mentioned it a couple times over the past couple of weeks, but there's no drafting element in Flip City, unlike in Fairy Tale. But one of the things that is very consistent, the flip and unflip mechanics. There's a lot of investigation going on in that space with how do you determine whether or not it's valuable to you at that particular moment to flip versus to unflip something. So if you like some of those tactical decisions that have to be made, such as in Fairy Tale, maybe check out Flip City, see what you think. Thank you for joining us for our review of Flip City. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Dragon's Demise. Be sure to join us next week when we'll be reviewing Alchemists. Also, stay tuned on our YouTube channel for our Century in Review video coming out soon.